I don't know about you, but in the past few weeks, it seems my email inbox has been flooded with more emails than usual. In my case, I've subscribed to a various uh, number of church resource websites, and, and besides getting just emails about the simple products they offer, unfortunately, they also feel like they need to uh, uh, preach to me and explain my life. <laughs> Hi, Corin. <laughs> and so I, I get emails from influencers or people that they would consider influencers or leaders or motivational speakers, and, and some would even consider themselves to be pastors. But the commentary they have to provide and give to me and offer on life goes something like this. Seven things you must do to take advantage of our current situation. Ten things you have to know. Five ways to overcome this. But even just reading these, these headlines is exhausting. Because in every single case, while they look for a way out of, of whatever situation or whatever suffering, it still depends on me. It still depends on you, what you must do to overcome this. And at least in these spiritual how-tos, it assumes that suffering cannot be a part of God's will. And this is what we call a theology of gloria, a false way of thinking that assumes that God's greatest desire is our contentment. But this is so representative of our, of our modern society that we look for the easy way out of suffering. Whatever makes us rich or happy or content or whole in the least amount of effort possible, uh, we jump on it. We look for leaders who offer this. If, if someone comes along who, who offers us a, a shortened way to prosperity or, or gives us the 10 steps to, to find greener grass on the other side of the fence, we jump on it. We follow them. We are like sheep blindly following a wolf who promises to give us a lot of food without ever considering the reason why he might want to fatten us up. Scripture calls Jesus the good shepherd. It's probably the most popular image of Jesus. We think of the familiar 23rd Psalm. And maybe we have a picture of a Jesus in our minds who, who leads us to green pastures in this life, who will show us the, the ten steps to get to the greener grass on the other side of the fence, who will work everything out in the end, uh, a Jesus who will make sure that we are more blessed in this life than we were before. But St. Peter paints a very different picture of our good shepherd. He's our leader not to greener pastures and contentment, but our leader, our shepherd of suffering. And he's a shepherd who actually promises that if we follow him, we will suffer. Peter says, indeed, you were called to do this, that is to suffer for doing good, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an, ex an example that you would follow in his steps. 
In fact, Christ actually teaches us how to suffer. When he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. We are to suffer patiently and quietly. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, if someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn, to the, turn him the other also. If someone wants to sue you and take away your shirt, give him your coat too. But it can be very easy for us as Christians to feel like we are entitled because we are Christians. To not only think we should be spared from difficulty, but that we should, be, we should demand, in fact, extra privileges. Rather, if we have to suffer in this life for doing good, so be it. As we heard two weeks ago, everything in this world, including suffering, only lasts a little while. Martin Luther, who is no stranger to suffering, especially from his own government and his own church, who, who even tried to kill him at one point, actually commented on this passage and, and said something that I, I think is really jolting to our modern ears. He said, we crucified Jesus with our sins, yet we are still far from suffering what he suffered. But the revelation kind of stings, doesn't it? We are still far from suffering what Jesus suffered. What do we have to complain for? We are so far from what Jesus suffered. Just think of the way that his government mistreated him and, and, and not only tried to kill him, but did kill him, how they did harm to him all unjustly. And yet Jesus committed himself to God who judges justly. Jesus didn't deserve any of that suffering, but we do because we were the reason Jesus was crucified. Luther goes on, Therefore, if you are a pious Christian, you should tread in the footsteps of the Lord and have compassion on those who harm you. You should also pray for them and ask God not to punish them, for they do far more harm to their souls than they do to your body. If you take this start, you will surely forget about your own sorrow and suffer gladly. Here we should be mindful of the fact that formerly we too led the kind of unchristian life that they lead, but that we now have been converted through Christ. Christ is our example in suffering. He's our shepherd who said, A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you too. But Jesus didn't suffer merely to be an example for us. I can think of a dozen other people who have suffered and who have suffered well. People who were persecuted for their faith and who endured their trials patiently and quietly. And yet just thinking about their suffering, just thinking about their examples doesn't make me feel any better. I mean just thinking, oh man, they had it so much worse and yet they made it through. Does that, make, does that make you feel good? Or what if your suffering is actually worse? 
What if your suffering and your trials are, are much more difficult than anything anyone you know has ever faced? Does thinking about someone else suffering in those instances give you any comfort? Jesus suffering on the cross is the most striking, the most terrifying, and the most difficult suffering imaginable. And yet Jesus suffering is not just an example for us. Rather, it's the substitute for our suffering. And it's our strength in our suffering. He himself carried our sins in his body on the tree so that we would be dead to sins and alive to righteousness. By his wounds, you were healed. Jesus, as our shepherd, cares deeply about us. He does not like to see his sheep suffer. But rather than removing all suffering from the present. Jesus stands in front of us. He steps in front of us to take the blunt of our suffering. He doesn't run away like the hired man who, who works only for, for, for earthly gain in this life and doesn't care about the sheep. But Jesus is the good shepherd who knows his sheep just as the Father knows him. That's how closely Jesus and how well Jesus knows you, as well as God the Father knows Jesus. And as, as close as Jesus is, because Jesus is that close to you, he will do anything for you, including laying down his life for you. Jesus isn't just a good leader who, who gives us an example to follow and gives us ten steps to a better life. He gives his life to save you. Jesus climbs down into our suffering, even into our very graves, and dies in our place, all to, to reach in and grab us out. He takes away our guilt. He takes away our sin. He takes away our debt. And just think about what that means. If Jesus has taken away my sin then there's no sin that's left to be punished. God does not punish us. God does not need to punish us. There's no sin left to punish. And so that means that everything we suffer in this life is not a result of God's judgment, even though God is just. Our crosses are not a result of God's anger, but of God's love. It's chastisement by the Father's rod. Normally we think of a, of a rod or a staff, a shepherd's staff, as, as a nice, gentle thing. But a shepherd's rod serves mainly to, to pull the sheep back, and it sometimes hurts them with its, with its curved hook. But it keeps them from danger. And that means that God's rod and the suffering that he permits us to go through in this life are good. And this is a perspective on suffering that can only be grasped by sheep who know Jesus as their shepherd by faith. About 15 years ago, I hated tea. It was too bitter. I wouldn't drink it. 
But I actually got sick once for an extended period of time, and a friend reintroduced me to tea. And so I started drinking it, and I eventually came to tolerate it and even to enjoy it. And now uh, I enjoy a cup of tea every now and then before I go to bed. My taste has grown because the muscle of my tongue has, has grown and improved. Faith itself is a muscle. Faith is a muscle that's strengthened in trial, in sickness, and in suffering. And as faith grows and is strengthened through Jesus, it changes our tastes. So instead of an attitude of, of bitterness over what we've been deprived of when we suffer, it tastes in suffering a spiritual sweetness. That's what Bishop Lockie said in our book of family prayer about suffering. Faith is able to taste more than bitterness in suffering, but even a sweetness to suffering. Taste and see that the Lord is good, for his mercy endures forever. The mercy and goodness of the Lord, the earth is full of the mercy and goodness of the Lord. Through the mercy of God shown in the death of Jesus, we are made alive to righteousness. Jesus' suffering leads us through this world of suffering, through the valley of the shadow of death, through all the greener grass on the other side of the fence that, that we think we deserve and that tempts us. And he leads us to himself and to the greater pasture of heaven. For you are like sheep going astray, but you are now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Praise be to our shepherd who has given his life to save us who has died for us, his sheep, and who has risen from the dead. And may he give us confidence to face our suffering with this knowledge that Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah and amen. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be forevermore. Amen.